Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, well, good morning, Community of Hope. Great to see you guys again here today. Can we honor the band and thank uh, Karen and Miranda for leading us in worship? Thank you, everybody. Hey, for those of you who are new or are back to church, and we have people back every single week for the first time from the pandemic. It's just been such a weird up and down with the different spikes and variants and whatnot. Uh, for those of you who might be new, my name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Community of Hope. I am not the campus pastor here. His name is Jose. And for those of you who weren't here last week, Jose and Gigi had their baby last weekend. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's awesome. So his name is Baby Caleb, and I have no pictures, and I have no other special information because I don't want to steal any of Jose's thunder. He'll be back with us in two weeks from today on Sunday morning, and you'll get to dote on him and Gigi, and I'm not sure if she'll be here with the baby yet, but you'll get to dote on him, and he'll show, I'm I'm sure, all sorts of baby pictures, so many baby pictures, you'll be nauseated by baby pictures, I'm sure. So um, it, it's a, that'll be a great thing. Hey, uh, listen, before we jump into our message today, I want to reiterate one thing that's coming up this week that's really important to us at Community of Hope. We have what we, uh, we're calling a prayer night coming up on Thursday. And like Brandon said at the beginning, if you weren't here, if you're still getting your coffee, you're saying hey to some friends coming on in. Uh, this prayer night we're having on Thursday night uh, at, uh, Thursday night at 7 p.m. Now, if it's in English, it's in Loxahatchee. Here at West Palm Beach, it's going to be in Spanish only. In the future, the prayer service, the prayer nights here will be bilingual, but while Pastor Jose is out, it's going to be Spanish only for this time. English is in Loxahatchee. Now, if you want to come here, I, man, COH Espanol, they know how to pray. You might not understand any of it, but you'll feel it, okay? So, um, but come on out. It's going to be awesome. Um, a lot of times when you say you're going to have a prayer night at church, some people are like, man, I'm not going to go. It sounds boring. Let me tell you, People are boring. The Holy Spirit is not, okay? So our prayer nights are not boring. They're fun, they're energetic, and by the end, it gets a little rowdy. And so if you came to the one last year out in Loxahatchee, you know, if you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so you're going to want to come on out to this. You're not going to want to miss it. It's a, a landmark moment in our church as we conclude what we're doing, a 21 days of prayer to start off 2022, right? Our hearts, our families, our lives, our church, our community, and we're really going to go for it, and we believe that God's going to meet us in a powerful way. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be fun. It's always good when you leave a prayer meeting a little hoarse, just saying. So um, it's going to be great, so make sure you come on out to that. So um, speaking of 21 days of prayer, we started last week with a prayer exercise that we did that Pastor Dale has brought to our church that we're learning. It, uh, we, it could be called three different things, but we're just calling it like a surrender prayer. The technical term for this is called the Invictus Prayer. And that's where uh, there's many different ways to pray, many different ways to skin a cat. But um, this has three hand postures, one of surrender, one of generosity, one of mission. And we did it together last week, and we're going to do it together here this morning before we begin our message for today. So if you're able, would you please stand? I know you're just standing. I made you stand up. I know, I know. Okay, so um, I have a, my little cheat sheet here, so please forgive that. But here's how we start. So make two fists. And hold them up like this, like you're going to fight. And take a deep breath. And then pray this with me. Don't just repeat it after me. Pray it with me. I confess my natural human posture 
is to fight for myself and to defend myself. I right, but now open your hands and lift them up like this. But as a follower of Jesus, I choose to hold my hands up as a symbol of surrender. My life is not about me. I surrender to your lordship. I surrender my preferences, my prejudices, and my position to you. My fears and finances, my friends and my family, I surrender all to you. I just take a deep breath right there. What's the Lord calling you to surrender to him today? Okay, close fists again. Hold them out in front of you like this. And pray with me. I confess my natural human posture is to keep, is to take, and to hang on. But now open your hands. Hold them out in front of you like this. But as a follower of Jesus, I choose to hold out my hands as a symbol of generosity. What I have is not mine. I am only a steward of all that you've given me. I want to mirror the way you opened your hands to us and lavished your love and life upon us. I want to live an open-handed life in a closed-fisted culture. Okay, so right there, take a deep breath. How might God be asking you to give your life away to others today? Thank you, God. Okay, close fist one more time and cross your arms. I confess my natural human posture is to spectate, is to critique, and to say it's not my problem. But now open your hands and stretch out your arms. But as a follower of Jesus, I choose to hold my hands forward as a symbol of mission. I want to live for something greater than me. I want to embrace your kingdom mission. I want to embrace and welcome your mission to the lost, the last the least and the lonely, the poor, the powerless, the privileged, and the persecuted. All right, take a deep breath. Who is God calling you to reach out and embrace today as part of his mission? Who's God calling you to love today 
Jesus, we love you. We want to live lives and postures of surrender, of generosity and mission for your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Isn't that great? I just love that. I just love that. Okay. So while you're taking your seat, if you haven't already, go ahead and open up your phone, open up the COH app or a Bible app on your phone. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that now. We're in week four of a series we're calling How Life Works. Everyone say that with me. How Life Works. And really what we're doing is we're going uh, passage by passage through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most famous sermon ever given. And it's Jesus's teaching of really what we understand is how life works best. If he's the designer of life, the creator of life, if God the Father created the entire universe in existence through Jesus and for Jesus, he understands how life is meant to work best. And this is what we're trying to talk about in the series. And it's been a really challenging series so far. It's been, let me tell you, it's been challenging as a communicator and as a preacher to try to teach on these things. My goodness, the past two weeks alone, I think I've taught through uh, racial reconciliation, abortion, uh, how to not be angry with people, how to be a reconciler, Jesus's vision of sexuality, you know, just random stuff, just light weather, featherweight stuff, right? Now, it's been challenging for us, but it's challenging as us also as followers of Jesus, and it's challenging to all of you who are listening. It's challenging to everybody who self-identifies as part of Jesus's kingdom to listen to these things and to lean into these things. And if you're somebody who might be new to our church, or if you might be somebody who's new to this whole Christianity thing, and you're listening to it, you might think we've lost our minds with some of the stuff that we're talking about. But the whole point of this whole series and what we're trying to do is the main issue is this. If you want to follow Jesus and his vision for how life works, then you need to submit every other ideology that you have. You need to subordinate every other identity that you have underneath the identity as being a citizen of Jesus's kingdom. And he will confront every other identity and every other ideology that comes in conflict with what it means to follow him. This is what he is lovingly doing for us here today. He's confronting us with the ways that we think life works, but it's actually broken. He's here to show us how it actually works best for you to find true life, true joy, true peace, true love, is to do it his way, even if it's completely different than what the world says is the way to go. So last week, if you were here with us, we talked, like I said, about Jesus and sexuality. Yikes. I was not supposed to be here. Pastor Jose and Giselle decided to have their baby on Friday, and I got a phone call saying, you're up, pal. And let me tell you, trying to prepare that sermon on short notice, I hope you all felt bad for me. I really do. Now, what I didn't tell everybody here, because I didn't actually want to play my own world's smallest violin and have a pity party for myself, but I'll do it right now, but I didn't do it last Sunday. So Jose and Giselle had the baby on Friday and went to the hospital. Baby's great. Everything's good. On Saturday, now everything's okay, everyone's all right, everyone's out of the hospital, but on Saturday morning, I got another phone call from Pastor Efrain from COH Espanol, who also went into the hospital on Saturday morning. Again, he's okay, he's home, everything's fine, he'll be here in church tomorrow. And and they said, guess what, pal, you're up. Because in COH Espanol, if it's not Pastor Efrain, the only other Spanish-speaking preacher that we have is Pastor Jose. Both of them are out. So guess what? Super gringo to the rescue. (laughs) 
So I'm trying to talk to you about Jesus and sex. I'm going, oh my gosh, I have to do this in Spanish in half an hour. <laughs> ah! But it went, uh, praise God, it actually went really good. They have a wonderful translator named Mitch. And uh, man, if you guys know Mitch or anybody from CHS Bellingham, if you know Mitch, tell him I am eternally grateful for him for bailing my super white butt out. So, so grateful for that. But here's the deal. What we were trying to do, and you know, if you heard me last week, it's great. if you want to go on YouTube or our podcast, listen to Pastor Dale talk about this too. More than welcome to. Please do that. What we're trying to do is just move the conversation forward. No one can realistically talk about the huge topic of sexuality and say everything in 30 to 40 minutes. You just can't do it. And if you try, you're going to do a disservice to somebody and you're going to hurt somebody. We're just trying to move the conversation forward on this because we believe as pastors that we have deep convictions about these issues. We think this stuff really matters. How many of, I mean, I think everybody in here would probably be safe to say, probably everybody in this room has either been hurt by sex, confused by it, don't know what to believe about it. It touches every single one of our lives. And we as pastors, we have deep beliefs about this stuff. We feel like it's pastoral malpractice to stand on the sideline and not say something about it, even if we're afraid that we might offend somebody who disagrees with us. We think the loving thing to do is to say what we believe about it, because we're deeply convinced to disagree does not mean to hate. Does anybody else believe that? Right? We're just going to reject that cultural narrative that says, if you disagree with me, you hate me. No, I disagree with you and love you with all my heart. My goodness, we know that that doesn't work, that disagreement does not equal hate. Any married person in this room room knows this. Right now, I know it might be hard to believe that my wife and I have disagreements, but maybe once every five years we have a disagreement. And don't worry, Leah goes off and she prays about it and usually comes around to my side of the disagreement, understands that I'm right all the time. She's leading worship right now on the Loxahatchee campus. Nobody tell her I said that, please. I don't want to go on timeout. No, okay. I mean, you know, we know these are difficult conversations, but we're going to move through these and speak these things in truth and in love and move and grow through them together because this stuff is really, really important. And we really believe in it. Now, here's one of the big ideas that we're trying to get at in this series. Jesus is showing how life works. And what's interesting, if you read through any of the four Gospels of Jesus, which again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the ancient biographies of the life of Jesus. They work just like biographies that you would read today. If you wanted to go and learn about Teddy Roosevelt, you could buy a couple different biographies about Teddy Roosevelt that might all be accurate, but are told in different voices of different pieces and different perspectives on that figure. Same thing with Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you start reading through any of them, you'll notice that every time Jesus told a story, people wanted to kill him. Every time. Like if you just read it at face value and like, What in the world? Jesus is telling a story about farming and plants and trees and seeds. And those these people are like bloodthirsty to kill him. What is the deal? Do they not like plants? Do they not like farming? Are they offended? Uh, You know, I don't know. Maybe they live in Florida and they're Seminoles and he's a gator. I don't know. Why in the world would they get so mad about stories? Well, because Jesus told stories that subverted their identities, that subverted their ideologies, that was turning their whole world upside down. See, Jesus, half of what Jesus does is when he's trying to get people in on the kingdom of God, 
to become, to follow him as king and to follow his way and his life and to help save the world, part of what he does is to win people to that to beauty. Like, let me show you a new way to live. And part of how he does it is he takes people's lives and their world's view and turns it all upside down. That's sometimes how he does it. And that's often how he did it in his teachings. Pick a topic, Jesus would often turn everything upside down or he would up the ante on it. For instance, here's just a couple quick examples of topics from the Bible that you can see what Jesus does to subvert ideologies and to subvert identities that are contrary to how God designed the universe originally to work and how God designed life to work originally. Think about women and women in ancient culture. If you start at the beginning of the Bible, which just reflects the ancient Near East culture of the day, women were seen as like property of men. Women were not even equal to men. They were property. But if you follow the narrative of the Bible, the teachings of the Bible, the laws of the Bible, and eventually the full revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ, at the end of the Bible, women are not considered property. They're considered equals to men. And the first people who witnessed Jesus' resurrection from the dead were women. And the first people who told others that Jesus had risen from the dead were women. And if you were going to make up this book in the first century, try to come up with what's the most plausible story we could do to create a false religion, you would have never said that women were the first eyewitnesses of Jesus. It was totally culturally counterintuitive. The only reason it made it in there is because it's true. And so if you're somebody who believes in the equality of women, you should thank Jesus because it's how he does that. So let's go to another issue. Pick another one. So there's women. Let's pick an issue like slavery. At the beginning of the Bible, the ancient Near East culture just reflected the world as it was. Slavery was incredibly prominent. You could own another human life. And it was just like owning a car. It was just what every culture and every society did. But when you see the progressive revelation of God throughout the scriptures, you see that God is the God who sets slaves free. Who tells these people who used to be slaves... That if you end up having slaves, you need to remember that they're your brother and your sister because you were once a slave and you need to remember how that is. To eventually we go and read at the end of the Bible, one of the followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a slave owner in the letter to Philemon, compelling him to set his slave free because his slave is not his property. His slave in the name of Jesus is his brother. And so there's no room for slavery anymore. So if you're somebody who believes that slavery is wrong and you believe in the freedom of all people, the equality of all people, you should thank Jesus. Amen? And so last week we talked about sexuality. The interesting thing is Jesus keeps it consistent throughout all of Scripture. What God has revealed at the beginning in the Old Testament might have had a couple bumps throughout But in Matthew 19, Jesus affirmed everything Scripture teaches from beginning to end about human sexuality and then up to the ante, where it's not just don't commit adultery, but even have purity in your heart around your sexuality. It's not just for married people. It's sexual purity for everybody. It's powerful, powerful, challenging, turning the world upside down teachings of Jesus. And this is what he's here to do with us today. But today, he's going to change the topic on us. Today, Jesus wants to speak to us about violence, about enemies, 
and about revenge. This is what he wants to speak to us about. So our passage for today, we're back in Matthew 5. We're picking up where we left off from last week in verse 38. And this is what it says here. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it was said, love your enemy, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Lord Jesus, wow. We ask now that you would pour out grace on this room. And your spirit, we ask, would move in this place to open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. So that we may see how life works best. And that we may build our lives upon the rock of your teaching. We pray all of this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Let's talk about the background of what we just talked about and what I just read. Um, In the ancient world, and a lot of places in the world still today, the predominant ethic of defense is really this. It's unlimited revenge. You could see this uh, in any ancient culture and even in places early on in the Bible before the Mosaic law was revealed. The ancient culture was if somebody hurt you, you could enact revenge on them. So like if somebody took your eye, you could kill them. If somebody hurt someone in your family, you would kill their whole family. If somebody robbed you of something, you'd burn their whole city to the ground. This is actually in the Old Testament. It doesn't condone it in the Old Testament. It just describes the natural human condition. It's there. And this is what people still do today. Man, you cross me, I will burn your whole life down. Unlimited revenge. Okay? But again, noticing the progressive revelation of God across Scripture, when the law of Moses came, God revealed his nature and his holiness to his people to help lead them into a relationship with him, and he gave them love, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life, which is limited revenge. Limited revenge. Now, what limited revenge is, is the teaching that if however somebody hurt you, you are allowed to hurt them back, but only to that amount. So when you and I read this, like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that sounds really violent. To this, the culture that first received these teachings, this was radically different. This looked like mercy. This looked like restraint. This looked like a culture that was putting restraints on violence and retaliation. It looked and it smelled like holiness because it was different to the whole world. Limited revenge. And so again, looking with the progressive revelation of God from the beginning of the, the Bible, all through where Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Jesus brings the fulfillment of the scriptures and the original intent and heart and idea of God is not just limited revenge, 
but unlimited love. I think this is just me conjecture here. I think if God dropped this on the people coming out of Egypt at first, they couldn't have received it. So he started with first, okay, I'm going to limit how much revenge you can do. But then when Jesus has come, he says, actually, you're to have unlimited love for your enemies. And this is world-changing. Notice the three examples that Jesus gives. This isn't going to be on the screen, but I want you to pay attention to me. Jesus talks about the cheek, the cloak, and the mile. In the passage, he says, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, it says it there, on the right cheeks. In the ancient world, and a lot of places in Eastern culture say they don't use their left hand for anything, for sanitary purposes and whatnot. Um, so if somebody struck you on the right cheek with the right hand, the only way they could do that is a backhanded slap, which still to us today, 2,000 years later in a totally different part of the world, is totally not only understood to us as an assault on our bodies and battery, it's an assault on your dignity. It's somebody insulting you. It's not just injury, it's insult. A backhanded slap. So we still use that backhanded slap, a backhanded comment. It's meant to put you down as well to strike you. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not saying here in this passage that you should be okay with abuse. Jesus is not condoning abusive relationships. Jesus is not condoning codependency. Jesus isn't even saying that you shouldn't defend somebody who's powerless or weak and cannot defend themselves. He's not saying that either. He's not saying any of those things. If you misinterpret this passage, you will end up wounding yourself or somebody else in your life. He's not saying those things. It's not pro-abuse. He's teaching people how to fight the way he fights. This is a theology and ethic called non-resistance, or in other circles, they call it non-violent resistance. Jesus said, do not resist an evil person. It's called non-resistance. So when somebody strikes you on the right cheek with a backhanded slap, instead of slapping them back, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. It's the equivalent of going, you getting slapped and taking a deep breath and going, and not moping, going, hit me again. It's getting hit on the one side and having the internal strength and resolve to turn and go, you missed a spot. Then he goes with the shirt. Well, somebody sues you and takes your shirt, which I don't know anybody who would sue me for my shirts. I'm like pit stained out and everything. Like, you can have it if you want. I mean, this is the ancient culture. So this is about your property. This is about your state. Somebody's suing you for something. And fine, they went in court. But notice this, Brandon, toss me that. Thanks, Brandon, Brandon. That's what my kids call him. So they sue you for your shirt, and on a day like today, they're not suing you for your pocket. They get your shirt, but then you give them your jacket, too. Take this, too. What? It sounds crazy to us. Why would anybody ever do that? It sounds crazy until you've seen it. And when you see it, you go, that's beautiful. How many of you have ever seen the play or the musical or the movie Les Mis? Les Mis. Some of us have. Incredible play. It's one of the most successful Broadway plays and movies ever. And the main character is a guy named Jean Valjean. Here, Brandon. Jean Valjean. 
who's a criminal, released from prison, escapes, and ends up at a bishop's house who takes him in. He's a Christian and loves on him. Well, he thinks, I can't ever leave my life of thievery. And so in the middle of the night, after this bishop has fed him and loved on him with the love of Jesus, he steals all the silver in the house and leaves in the dark of night. But the police catch him, bring him back to the bishop and says, this man here stole all your silver and he says that you gave it to him, but we know he's a liar. And the bishop goes, yeah, I did give it to him. And here's a picture. This is Hugh Jackman playing Jean Vangel. And he says, oh, but my friend, and he walks over to the dining room table and takes the two silver candle holders, candlesticks. Says, I did give it all to you but you forgot the best ones. Take the candlesticks too. And it breaks Jean Valjean's mind. It breaks his soul, breaks his heart. You can see it in Hugh Jackman's eyes. I don't understand what's happening. The police leave and the bishop looks at him and goes, so here's the deal. I've now bought your soul for God. Use these to go become an honest man. See, this tactic of nonviolent resistance isn't just to defeat the person you're facing. It's to win the heart of your enemy who's attacking you. And then there's the second mile, which is fascinating where there's a Roman soldier. They were allowed to, by law, to go, you, peasant. I'm not saying you're a peasant. You, I don't know. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. You, peasant. (laughs) Come with me, you have to carry my bags for a mile, and you'd have to, but it was one mile and no more. That was their law. And so you get to the one mile mark, and a follower of Jesus would go, I'm going with you another mile. And the centurion would go, wait, no, 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 I'm only allowed to make you go one. I'm only allowed to make you go one. You're going to get me in trouble. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm still going. Let's go. It would mess with them. Do you see it? It's this method of nonviolent resistance that changes everything. It makes you rethink how you orient around people who are attacking you, people who are your enemies. It makes you rethink the tactic of violence. It makes you rethink self-defense. It makes you rethink all these things. There are big implications for this. It's profound and it's life-changing. Like I said earlier, the point isn't to just win, but to win the heart of the person who's come as your enemy. This is one of my favorite books. It was written by a man named E. Stanley Jones. And he was, a Time Magazine called him in the 1950s the most famous missionary you've never heard of. And he was known as the Billy Graham of India. And this is the first edition of his book about Christ and the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I just love this book. I'm such a fan of E. Stanley Jones. If you open this up on the inside, here's the inscription of this. Go ahead and show the picture, guys. It says, Your friend, E. Stanley Jones. How cool is that, right? I'm personal friends with E. Stanley Jones. It makes me feel more spiritual than all the other preachers on our team. He died 15 years before I was born. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this was a gift. I'm just kidding. But um, still, it's one of my most prized possessions. Um, e. Stanley Jones wrote this. I'm just going to read it here from the book. He says, Jesus is not teaching passive resistance, but an active resistance on a higher level. The account does not say if a man smite you on one cheek, let him strike the other also. But it does say, turn to him the other also. It is this audacious offense of love that forces the man to go further and thus to break down. 
He tries to break your head, and you as a Christian try to break his heart. In turning the other cheek, you wrest the offense from him, and you assume moral charge of the situation. You choose your own battleground and your own weapons, and you refuse his and compel him to stand on ground with which he is not familiar with to face weapons he does not know how to face. If a man compel you to go with him one mile, you are his slave. If you voluntarily go with him two, then you rise from your slavery, confer a bounty on him, and thus become the master. If he sues you at law and takes away your coat, you are a servant. But if you confer on him your cloak also, you assume mastery by your own moral daring. You don't become the victim in the situation. You become the leader if you learn how to fight like Jesus. Now, the key issue with all of this is, does it work? Does it even work? If it works, the whole Sermon on the Mount works. If it's pie in the sky, the whole thing is garbage. I'm here to tell you, we're in a series called How Life Works. This works. It works. We're going to show a picture of, um, of Gandhi. And if you're unfamiliar with Gandhi, he was a leader in India um, in the first part of the 1900s. And because of his nonviolent resistance tactics, he led India um, to be free of British rule without any civil war. He's known as the father of India. And though, even though he was Hindu and he was not a Christian, Gandhi read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, every single morning. Even though he didn't call himself a follower of Jesus, he did how Jesus said how life works, and it worked. And so E. Stanley Jones, who was a missionary to India, was close personal friends with Gandhi. And E. Stanley Jones wrote about Gandhi. Gandhi was assassinated in 1948. So E. Stanley Jones wrote about his friend, wrote about a book about him, got published. And then a seminarian in Atlanta, an African-American young seminarian was studying to go into ministry and picked up E. Stanley Jones's book on Gandhi. And in the margins of the book, learning about Jesus' nonviolent resistance, wrote in there, this is it, exclamation mark. And that was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who transformed our nation by his nonviolent resistance. It's funny how those three men are all tied together in a strange way. Because this method works. It works. In fact, Dr. King said this. He said, nonviolence, whoop, almost lost my notes. He said, nonviolence is a powerful and just weapon which cuts without wounding and ennobles the man who wields it. Listen to this it's a sword that heals. Now, the problem is when people try to do nonviolent resistance, they read about Jesus' tactic for how to resist evil and injustice in the world, maybe interpersonally or maybe even on a systemic level, but they don't read to verse 43. And Jesus' tactic without the heart of Christ, you miss all the power of it. Let's look at it again. Verse 43, Jesus says this, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. It's love. It's not a method. It's how you love your enemies, just like how God loves his enemies. 
In fact, in Luke, when we talked about the different biographies of the life of Jesus, he teaches all the same stuff. Turn the other cheek, give him your cloak, go the second mile. He says all of it. But Luke adds this little wrinkle in his biography. In Luke 6, 27, 28, Jesus says this here in, his, in Luke's gospel. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Do good to your enemies. Bless your enemies. Pray for your enemies. This is the formula for how you're to love people you hate. And let's be honest in here. We're all not perfect people. We're not in here because this is a museum for saints. This church is a hospital for sinners. Can I get an amen for this? I need help loving people I hate. And I hope you do too. Let's get real about this. And Jesus says, do good. Bless them, pray for them. Listen to these scriptures. Proverbs 25, 21, 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. There is somebody in your life right now who's trying to do harm to you and Jesus has called you to creatively with the Holy Spirit. Find a way to give him a drink of water and bless them and do good to them. Romans 12, 14 says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. To the person who's speaking horrible things about you, the follower of Jesus is to resist this nonviolently with your words. Who is speaking ill of you in your life that you need to find to encourage or say nothing but nice things about them instead? Who is that and what do you need to start saying or writing or posting? And then lastly, look at this. Luke 23, 43. I read the wrong scripture, but it's the right part. Trust me. Luke 23, 34. Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus prayed for the people who were literally crucifying him as they were nailing him to the cross. Who is wounding you in your life? that you need to pray for. As the band comes on up, when you hear these things, it sounds very difficult. In fact, I've heard it said before that Christianity, I know everyone, they're getting on stage, everyone's zooming right here. I've heard it said before, Christianity isn't hard. Christianity isn't hard. It's impossible. In fact, look at verse 48. Jesus ends this entire section of the Sermon on the Mount. Everything we've talked about the past four weeks, he, and he climaxes this section with this phrase here, be perfect. Therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's impossible. Have the same level of perfection of character as God You've lost your mind, Jesus, except for if you know him, you know that the same one who gives the command is the same one who gives grace to obey the command if you trust him with a willing and an open heart. You can't love your enemies on your own, but if you're willing to step out and do what Jesus said to do, he will meet you with the power of the Holy Spirit to change your heart towards your enemies and through you to change even them if we'll do it. 
It's not hard. It's impossible. But we serve a God who does impossible things all the time. Amen? Amen. So friends, let's pray. We're going to sing a song in response to this. We're going to lean into this God of perfecting grace who transforms us into his image. Lord Jesus, we need you. I pray for every heart now with these hard words and teachings to love enemies and to not resist them with the weapons of the world. Would you soften our hearts now and lead us now to be just like you and to love our enemies and to fight the way you fight. In your name we pray and all God's people said. We're going to sing a song in a moment of response. Come pray if you want. Sit and pray, stand and sing, whatever you need to do. Let's respond. So friends, go from this place with the grace that can perfect you and change you into the image of Jesus. Go from this place loving your enemies and with your love transforming them to be your brother and sister in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Go in God's grace. We'll see you next week.